Book One, Chapters Four through Eight of On War. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. On War by Karl von Clausewitz, translated by Colonel J. J. Graham. Book One, Chapter Four of Danger in War. Usually, before we have learnt what danger really is, we form an idea of it which is rather attractive than repulsive. In the intoxication of enthusiasm to fall upon the enemy at the charge, who cares then about bullets and men falling, to throw oneself blinded by excitement for a moment against cold death, uncertain whether we or another shall escape him, and all this close to the golden gate of victory, close to the rich fruit which ambition thirsts for, can this be difficult? It will not be difficult, and still less will it appear so, but such moments, which, however, are not the work of a single pulse-beat, as is supposed, but rather like doctor's draughts, must be taken diluted and spoilt by mixture with time, such moments, we say, are but few. Let us accompany the novice to the battlefield. As we approach, the thunder of the cannon becoming plainer and plainer is soon followed by the howling of shot, which attracts the attention of the inexperienced. Balls begin to strike the ground close to us, before and behind. We hasten to the hill, where stands the general and his numerous staff. Here the close striking of the cannon-balls and the bursting of shells is so frequent that the seriousness of life makes itself visible through the youthful picture of imagination. Suddenly, someone known to us falls. A shell strikes amongst the crowd and causes some involuntary movements. We begin to feel that we are no longer perfectly at ease and collected. Even the bravest is, at least, to some degree confused. Now, a step farther into the battle, which is raging before us like a scene in a theatre, we get to the nearest general of division. Here ball follows ball, and the noise of our own guns increases the confusion. From the general of division to the brigadier, he, a man of acknowledged bravery, keeps carefully behind a rising ground, a house or a tree, a sure sign of increasing danger. Grape rattles on the roofs of the houses and in the fields. Cannonballs howl over us and plough the air in all directions, and soon there is a frequent whistling of musket-balls. A step farther toward the troops, to that sturdy infantry which for hours has maintained its firmness under this heavy fire. Here the air is filled with the hissing of balls, which announce their proximity by a short, sharp noise as they pass within an inch of the ear, the head, or the breast. To add to all this, Compassion strikes the beating heart with pity at the sight of the maimed and fallen. The young soldier cannot reach any of these different strata of danger without feeling that the light of reason does not move here in the same medium, that it is not refracted in the same manner as in the speculative contemplation. Indeed, he must be a very extraordinary man who, under these impressions for the first time, does not lose the power of making any instantaneous decisions. It is true that habits soon blunt such impressions. In half an hour we begin to be more or less indifferent to all that is going on around us. But an ordinary character never attains to complete coolness 
and the natural elasticity of mind and and so we perceive that here again ordinary qualities will not suffice a thing which gains truth the wider the sphere of activity which is to be filled enthusiastic stoical natural bravery great ambition or also long familiarity with danger much of this there must be if all the effects produced in this resistant medium are not to fall far short of that which in the student's chamber may appear only the ordinary standard danger in war belongs to its friction a correct idea of its influence is necessary for truth of perception and therefore it is brought under notice here chapter five of bodily exertion in war if no one were allowed to pass an opinion on the events of war except at a moment when he is benumbed by frost sinking from heat and thirst or dying with hunger and fatigue we should certainly have fewer judgments correct objectively but they would be so subjectively at least that is they would contain in themselves the exact relation between the person giving the judgment and the object we can perceive this by observing how modestly subdued even spiritless and desponding is the opinion passed upon the results of untoward events by those who have been eye-witnesses but especially if they have been parties concerned this is according to our view a criterion of the influence which bodily fatigue exercises and of the allowance to be made for it in matters of opinion amongst the many things in war for which no tariff can be fixed bodily effort may be specially reckoned provided there is no waste it is a coefficient of all the forces and no one can tell exactly to what extent it may be carried but what is remarkable is that just as only a strong arm enables the archer to stretch the bowstring to the utmost extent so also in war it is only by means of a great directing spirit that we can expect the full power latent in the troops to be developed for it is one thing if an army in consequence of great misfortunes surrounded with danger falls all to pieces like a wall that has been thrown down and can only find safety in the utmost exertion of its bodily strength it is another thing entirely when a victorious army drawn on by proud feelings only is conducted at the will of its chief the same effort which in one case might at most excite our pity must in the other call forth our admiration because it is much more difficult to sustain by this comes to light for the inexperienced eye one of those things which put fetters in the dark as it were on the action of the mind and wear out in secret the powers of the soul although here the question is strictly only respecting the supreme effort required by a commander from his army by a leader from his followers therefore of the spirit to demand it and of the art of getting it still the personal physical exertion of generals and of the chief commander must not be overlooked having brought the analysis of war conscientiously up to this point we could not but take account also of the weight of this small remaining residue we have spoken here of bodily effort chiefly because like danger it belongs to the fundamental causes of friction and because its indefinite quantity makes it like an elastic body the friction of which is well known to be difficult to calculate to check the abuse of these considerations of such a survey of things which might 
aggravate the difficulties of war, nature has given our judgment a guide in our sensibilities, just as an individual cannot with advantage refer to his personal deficiencies if he is insulted and ill-treated, but may well do so if he has successfully repelled the affront or fully revenged it, so no commander or army will lessen the impression of a disgraceful defeat by depicting the danger, the distress, the exertions, things which would immensely enhance the glory of a victory. Thus our feeling, which, after all, is only a higher kind of judgment, forbids us to do what seems an act of justice to which our judgment would be inclined. CHAPTER Six, INFORMATION IN WAR By the word information, we denote all the knowledge which we have of the enemy and his country, therefore, in fact, the foundation of all our ideas and actions. Let us consider the nature of this foundation, its want of trustworthiness, its changefulness, and we shall soon feel what a dangerous edifice war is, how easily it may fall to pieces and bury us in its ruins. For although it is a maxim in all books that we should trust only certain information, that we must always be suspicious, that is, only a miserable book comfort, belonging to that description of knowledge in which writers of systems and compendiums take refuge for want of anything better to say. Great part of the information obtained in war is contradictory, a still greater part is false, and by far the greatest part is of a doubtful character. What is required of an officer is a certain power of discrimination, which only knowledge of men and things and good judgment can give. The law of probability must be his guide. This is not a trifling difficulty, even in respect of the first plans, which can be formed in the chamber outside the real sphere of war, but it is enormously increased when in the thick of war itself one report follows hard upon the heels of another. It is then fortunate if these reports, in contradicting each other, show a certain balance of probability, and thus call forth a scrutiny. It is much worse for the inexperienced when accident does not render him this service, but one report supports another, confirms it, magnifies it, finishes off the picture with fresh touches of colour, until necessity in urgent haste forces from us a resolution which will soon be discovered to be folly all those results having been lies, exaggerations, errors, and such and such. In a few words, most reports are false, and the timidity of men acts as a multiplier of lies and untruths. As a general rule, every one is more inclined to lend credence to the bad than the good. Every one is inclined to magnify the bad in some measure, and although the alarms which are thus propagated like the waves of the sea subside into themselves, still, like them, without any apparent cause, they rise again. Firm in reliance on his own better convictions, the chief must stand like a rock against which the sea breaks its fury in vain. The role is not easy. He who is not by nature of a buoyant disposition, or trained by experience in war and matured in judgment, may let it be his rule to do violence to his own natural conviction by inclining from the side of fear to that of hope. Only by that means will he be able to preserve his balance. This difficulty of seeing things correctly, which is one of the greatest sources of friction in war, makes things appear quite different from what was expected. The impression of the senses is stronger than the force of the ideas resulting from methodical reflection. 
and this goes so far that no important undertaking was ever yet carried out without the commander having to subdue new doubts in himself at the time of commencing the execution of his work ordinary men who follow the suggestions of others become therefore undecided on the spot they think that they have found circumstances different from what they had expected and this view gains strength by their again yielding to the suggestions of others but even the man who has made his own plans when he comes to see things with his own eyes will often think he has done wrong firm reliance on self must make him proof against the seeming pressure of the moment his first conviction will in the end prove true when the foreground scenery which fate has pushed on to the stage of war with its accompaniments of terrific objects is drawn aside and the horizon extended this is one of the great chasms which separate conception from execution chapter seven friction in war as long as we have no personal knowledge of war we cannot conceive where those difficulties lie of which so much is said and what that genius and those extraordinary mental powers required in a general have really to do all appears so simple all the requisite branches of knowledge appear so plain all the combinations so unimportant that in comparison with them the easiest problem in higher mathematics impresses us with a certain scientific dignity but if we have seen war all becomes intelligible and still after all it is extremely difficult to describe what it is which brings about this change to specify this invisible and completely efficient factor everything is very simple in war but the simplest thing is difficult these difficulties accumulate and produce a friction which no man can imagine exactly who has not seen war suppose now a traveller who towards evening expects to accomplish the two stages at the end of a day's journey four or five leagues with post-horses on the high road it is nothing he arrives now at the last station but one finds no horses or very bad ones then a hilly country bad roads it is a dark night and he is glad when after a great deal of trouble he reaches the next station and finds there some miserable accommodation so in war through the influence of an infinity of petty circumstances which cannot properly be described on paper things disappoint us and we fall short of the mark a powerful iron will overcome this friction it crushes the obstacles but certainly the machine along with them we shall often meet with this result like an obelisk toward which the principal streets of a town converge the strong will of a proud spirit stands prominent and commanding in the middle of the art of war friction is the only conception which in a general way corresponds to that which distinguishes real war from war on paper the military machine the army and all belonging to it is in fact simple and appears on this account easy to manage but let us reflect that no part of it is in one piece that it is composed entirely of individuals each of which keeps up its own friction in all directions theoretically all sounds very well the commander of a battalion is responsible for the execution of the order given and as the battalion by its discipline is glued together into one piece and the chief must be a man of acknowledged zeal the beam turns on an iron pin with little friction but it is not so in reality 
and all that is exaggerated and false in such a conception manifests itself at once in war. The battalion always remains composed of a number of men, of whom, if chance so wills, the most insignificant is able to occasion delay and even irregularity. The danger which war brings with it, the bodily exertions which it requires, augment this evil so much that they may be regarded as the greatest causes of it. This enormous friction which is not concentrated, as in mechanics at a few points, is therefore everywhere brought into contact with chance, and thus incidents take place upon which it was impossible to calculate, their chief origin being chance, as an instance of one such chance, the weather. Here the fog prevents the enemy from being discovered in time, a battery from firing at the right moment, a report from reaching the general. There rain prevents a battalion from arriving at the right time, because instead of for three it had to march perhaps eight hours the cavalry from charging effectively because it is stuck fast in heavy ground. These are only a few incidents of detail by way of elucidation that the reader might be able to follow the author, for whole volumes might be written on these difficulties. To avoid this, and still give a clear conception of the host of small difficulties to be contended with in war, we might go on heaping up illustrations, if we were not afraid of being tiresome. But those who have already comprehended us will permit us to add a few more. Activity in war is movement in a resistant medium. Just as a man immersed in water is unable to perform with ease and regularity the most natural and simplest movement, that of walking, so in war, with ordinary powers, one cannot keep even the line of mediocrity. This is the reason that the correct theorist is like a swimming master, who teaches on dry land movements which are required in the water which must appear grotesque and ludicrous to those who forget about the water. This is also why theorists who have never plunged in themselves, or who cannot deduce any generalities from the experience, are unpractical and even absurd, because they only teach what everyone knows, how to walk. Further, every war is rich in particular facts, while at the same time is an unexplored sea, full of rocks, which the general may have a suspicion of, but which he has never seen with his eye, and round which, moreover, he must steer in the night. If a contrary wind springs up, that is, if any great accidental event declares itself adverse to him, then the most consummate skill, presence of mind, and energy are required, whilst to those who only look on from a distance, all seems to proceed with the utmost ease. The knowledge of this friction is a chief part of that so often talked of, experience in war, which is required in a good general. Certainly he is not the best general in whose mind it assumes the greatest dimensions, who is the most overawed by it. This includes that class of over-anxious generals of whom there are so many among the experienced, but a general must be aware of it, that he may overcome it, when that is possible, and that he may not expect a degree of precision in results which is impossible on account of this very friction, Besides, it can never be learnt theoretically, and if it could, there would still be wanting that experience of judgment which is called tact, and which is always more necessary in a field full of innumerable small and diversified objects than in great and decisive cases, when one's own judgment may be aided by consultation with others. Just as the man of the world, through tact of judgment, which has become habit, speaks, 
acts and moves only as suits the occasion so the officer experienced in war will always in great and small matters at every pulsation of war as we may say decide and determine the suitability to the occasion through this experience and practice the idea comes to his mind of itself that so-and-so will not suit and thus he will not easily place himself in a position by which he is compromised which if it often occurs in war shakes all the foundations of confidence and becomes extremely dangerous it is therefore this friction or what is so termed here which makes that which appears easy in war difficult in reality as we proceed we shall often meet with this subject again and it will hereafter become plain that besides experience and a strong will there are still many other rare qualities of mind required to make a man a consummate general chapter eight concluding remarks book one those things which as elements meet together in the atmosphere of war and make it a resistant medium for every activity we have designated under the terms danger bodily effort exertion information and friction in their impediment effects they may therefore be comprehended again in the collective notion of a general friction now is there then no kind of oil which is capable of diminishing this friction only one and that one is not always available at the will of the commander or his army it is the habituation of an army to war habit gives strength to the body in great exertion to the mind in great danger to the judgment against first impressions by it a valuable circumspection is generally gained throughout every rank from the hussar and rifleman up to the general of division which facilitates the work of the chief commander as the human eye in a dark room dilates its pupil draws in the little light that there is partially distinguishes objects by degrees and at last knows them quite well so it is in war with the experienced soldier whilst the novice is only met by pitch dark night habituation to war no general can give his army at once and the camps of manoeuvre peace exercises furnish but a weak substitute for it weak in comparison with real experience in war but not weak in relation to other armies in which the training is limited to mere mechanical exercises of routine so to regulate the exercises in peacetime as to include some of these causes of friction that the judgment circumspection even resolution of the separate leaders may be brought into exercise is of much greater consequence than those believe who do not know the thing by experience it is of immense importance that the soldier high or low whatever rank he has should not have to encounter in war those things which when seen first time set him in astonishment and perplexity if he has only met with them one single time before even by that he is half acquainted with them this relates even to bodily fatigues they should be practised less to accustom the body to them than the mind in war the young soldier is very apt to regard unusual fatigues as the consequence of faults mistakes and embarrassment in the conduct of the whole and to become distressed and despondent as a consequence this would not happen if he had been prepared for this beforehand by exercises in peace another less comprehensive but still very important means of gaining habituation to war in time of peace is to invite into the service officers of foreign armies who have had experience in war peace seldom reigns over all europe and never in all quarters of the world a state which has been long at peace should therefore always seek to procure some officers 
who have done good service at the different scenes of warfare, or to send some of their own that they may get a lesson in war. However small the number of officers of this description may appear in proportion to the mass, still their influence is very sensibly felt. Their experience, the bent of their genius, the stamp of their character, influence their subordinates and comrades. And besides that, if they cannot be placed in positions of superior command, they may always be regarded as men acquainted with the country who may be questioned on many special occasions. End of Book One Chapters 4 through 8 Recording by Timothy Ferguson, Gold Coast, Australia